When it comes to air quality, the bad news is that wildfires and air pollution have really degraded the quality of our air. But the good news is that we're all realizing that the quality of our air, and particularly the quality of our indoor air, is really darn important. I'm so excited to tell you about Puro Air because in 30 minutes, this device will remove allergens, dust, smoke, and gases from your room. It uses a stronger type of filter called a HEPA-14, and it filters pollutants at a microscopic level. I keep my Puro Air running upstairs where the bedrooms are all night. I love that it's quiet. Cleaner air just hits different, doesn't it? Check out everything Puro Air has to offer at getpuroair.com. That's G-E-T-P-U-R-O-A-I-R.com. One more time for the people in the back, getpuroair.com. Well, hello there, listeners, and welcome back. My name is Stephanie Safarian, and you're listening to another episode of Sustainable Minimalists. Today is Friday, which means we are doing headlines. Headlines is four environmentally leaning news stories that you need to know about in 15 minutes or less. Today, I'm starting you off with some optimistic news, and then we're going straight into some really darn devastating news. I'm just warning you now. And then after the break, we have our feature story, which is all about strawberries and our love and desire for off-season foods. So let's get right into the optimistic news, and it has to do with potential PFAS regulation. What on earth is a PFAS? Well, PFAS substances are made when carbon and fluorine fuse together. They create a virtually unbreakable compound. You see PFAS chemicals in thousands of products these days, food packaging, clothing, carpets, you name it. Uh, But because these chemicals are designed to be unbreakable, They're called forever chemicals. They are adding up in our environment, in our bodies, and they're not breaking down. Now, PFAS chemicals, it's a class of more than 12,000 chemicals. And last Tuesday, the Environmental Protection Agency here in the U.S. proposed its first ever enforceable limits on PFAS in drinking water. The proposed rule would require public water systems to monitor, and strictly limit six of these chemicals. Now, the EPA used to have guidelines with regard to PFAS in our drinking water before they suggested that PFAS should not exceed 70 parts per trillion in drinking water, but the new proposed rule would limit them to just four parts per trillion each, so from 70 to four. Big, monumental proposal going on over at the EPA. We have talked about PFAS before. It was episode number 264 titled Forever Chemicals. I'll link to the episode and you should definitely check it out if you missed it. My guest dropped tons of knowledge on us. But if you did listen, quick reminder that PFAS was originally manufactured because it's nonstick and it's stain resistant. My guest in episode 264 tested food packaging. So the box that your French fries came in, the waxy paper that surrounded your burger, let's say. PFAS chemicals are found in these items. And again, because they break down so slowly, PFAS now are all over this planet, and specifically in our water. And that's really darn 
scary because PFAS have been scientifically linked to increased risk of cancer, to lowered immune responses, and to other very major health problems in animals and humans. So now this is a big deal. It's a good big deal. But remember, it's only covering six of 12,000 chemicals, and it only applies to public water systems, not private wells. And by the way, here in the United States, one in eight Americans rely on wells for drinking water. So it's just proposed. Let's stay tuned. Let's stay optimistic. We'll see. Now we're moving right on to the downright devastating news, which is that according to the new report released by the UN this week, the world has less than a decade to stop catastrophic warming. The new report said a bunch of stuff. None of it was good. I'm going to read the major points off as bullet points, and then we'll chat about them. So number one, we have less than a decade to stop catastrophic global warming. Number two, Nations will need to make immediate and drastic shifts away from fossil fuels to prevent the planet from going beyond that 1.5 degrees Celsius that is currently thrown out in the world. Number three, human activities have transformed the planet unmatched in human history. So what does that mean? It means global warming is caused by humans. Number four, the suffering is worst in the world's poorest countries and in low-lying island nations. And number five, we know what we need to do, and now we need to do it at a rapid pace. So if you consider yourself well-versed in environmental issues, then none of those five bullet points that I just recited is shocking to you, right? You already know all of it. But I wanted to cover this today, even though nothing's new, because I want to drive home the point that these tenths of a degree really, really matter. If we go past 1.5 degrees Celsius, everything's not lost. But 1.5 is certainly better than 1.6 or 1.7. The difference between a warming of 1.5 degrees Celsius and 2 degrees Celsius may very likely mean that tens of millions more people worldwide experience life-threatening heat waves. And a 1.5 degree warming world may still have coral reefs and Arctic ice in the summer, but a two degree warming world would no longer have coral reefs and would have no Arctic sea ice. So these tenths of a percentage really matter. And of course, like I, I have to say it, and I'm sorry, but this is particularly frustrating to me on a personal level, because my country of origin, the United States, continues to approve new fossil fuel projects. You may recall that a couple of weeks back, we discussed the Stop Willow social media campaign. Well, that was approved last week. And then there's China, the world's other major polluter. China issued permits for 168 coal-fired power plants of various sizes last year. So we should be sprinting. We know what we have to do, and we should be sprinting towards it. But instead, we're walking backwards at a leisurely pace. That's how it feels. We should be sprinting forward, but we're walking backwards. Now, I read an interesting article this week that suggested that perhaps the lack of urgency has to do with at least here in the United States, us not really understanding Celsius. <laughs> Our reliance on degrees in Fahrenheit may seem that 1.5 degrees Celsius number seem very confusing, 
right? By the way, 1.5 degrees Celsius translates to 2.7 degrees Fahrenheit. So this article that I read suggested that we should be talking about rising temperatures in a different way. And maybe a difference of 2.7 degrees Fahrenheit doesn't sound like much. Like there's not much difference between whether that's 60 degrees versus 62.7 degrees, right? You need a light jacket either way. But let's flip the script. How about instead we start thinking about a warming climate in terms of our bodies? The planet is a living thing, and so are we. Would you be concerned if your child's temperature spiked by 2.7 degrees? So your child went from a 98.5 degree temperature to a 101.2 degree temperature? You'd be concerned, wouldn't you? Your child would be quite sick at 101.2 degrees. They would not be functioning at their normal level. They'd be quite lethargic. They'd probably be miserable. You are going to be monitoring your child closely at 101.2 degrees. That's what we're talking about here. We're talking about a problem in which tenths of degrees really do matter. So I have some action steps for you today. Number one, if you're American, don't talk about the warming climate in terms of Celsius. Flip it to Fahrenheit. Number two, bring up the your child sick example that I just gave you. And then number three, if that sounds scary, like if you're apprehensive about talking about climate change with people in your life, perhaps you reference pop culture. And that brings me to quick story number three. There's a new show about climate change out now. It's called Extrapolations. It's on Apple TV. It's a limited series, eight episodes total. It has a star-studded cast. I'm talking... Like So if you don't love Kit Harrington, first of all, we need to talk. But Kit Harrington, David Schwimmer, Ed Norton, Meryl Streep. The show takes place in the year 2046, and it is different from other films about climate change. And that's because historically, climate change tends to be viewed in the media as apocalyptic. Right? I'm thinking the day after tomorrow or don't look up with Leonardo DiCaprio and Meryl Streep, right? Apocalyptic. But extrapolations takes a different view. And that is the slow burn, if you will. The show's characters experience planetary warming as completely routine. A group of people are riding on a boat through the Arctic and they're wearing windbreakers. People are in a Miami church and they're all wearing um, like galoshes and their feet are in several inches of water. So this is a slow burn show. It's not apocalyptic, but it's giving a sense of what life will likely look like in 2046 for most of us. And so I wanted to cover this really quick as a piggyback to the UN story we just talked about. Because if you don't like talking to people about climate change, why not use this new show that's out now called Extrapolations as a bridge to talk about these really important issues? Watch it, talk about it, start conversations. So we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about our love of off-season fruits and veggies. I'll see you in a minute. So many of us have chaotic Closets that are crammed full of clothing items, and yet somehow 
we still have nothing to wear. Well, upgrading to high quality and affordable pieces from Quince when you need them is a game changer. They offer organic cotton sweaters and washable silk tops. My 100% Mongolian cashmere sweaters are my go-to. Not only are they affordable, but the quality is top-notch. They wear better than the cashmere sweaters that are double their price. Indulge in affordable luxury. Go to quince.com slash sustainable podcast for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash sustainable podcast to get free shipping and 365 day returns. One more time, quince.com slash sustainable podcast. Hello, Sustainable Minimalist listeners. Are you committed to living a greener and simpler life? Well, meet Home Threads, your ally in more sustainable and minimalist home decor. As the total destination for decor and furniture, Home Threads helps you define your minimalist lifestyle while respecting the planet. Discover their exclusive Haven collection. They use many sustainable materials without compromising on style. And here's the best part. Home Threads always has the best value. It was time. After nine years of living in our home, it was time to replace our outdoor furniture. And my husband and I, we went to Home Threads. We have a Home Threads patio umbrella and a new bench. And oh my goodness, we are so in love. Create a home that reflects your commitment to the environment. Visit homethreads.com slash sustainable and get a code for 15% off your first order. Homethreads.com slash sustainable. Love where you live. And we're back. We're on to today's feature story. We're talking about the Japanese and we're talking about their love of strawberries. But more specifically, we're talking about our desire for fruit. And veggies, we want what we want when we want it. Well, what's the implications associated with those wants? So let's start in Japan. The Japanese love their strawberries, and more specifically, they love their winter strawberries. They expect this traditionally summer fruit year-round, with the peak season in Japan starting around Christmas. Now, strawberries in Japan are very expensive. The most beautiful ones are extremely expensive, Expensive as in hundreds of dollars a piece to be given as gifts. Okay, so how do we do it? How do we make peak strawberry season come in at Christmas time? It's heated greenhouses, of course. And certainly, fruits and veggies are grown in greenhouses all around the world. But Japan definitely takes this love of off-season strawberries to an extreme. And I wanted to cover this story in the main feature section today because it provides a stellar example of how our modern expectations for fresh produce year-round can require and do require astonishing amounts of energy. So there's an important question here. What do we want more? Do we want an inhabitable planet or do we want produce in its off-season? I'm of the mindset that we're at a point in time where we cannot have both. So let's talk about the environmental toll of strawberries made in greenhouses. In Japan specifically, strawberry farmers have to recreate an artificial spring in the winter months by growing strawberries in gigantic greenhouses that are heated with gigantic gas-guzzling heaters. 
The result is strawberries with the emissions footprint that's eight times that of grapes and more than 10 times that of mandarin oranges. Researchers have determined that the lion's share of these strawberries' footprint is due to the heating of the greenhouses. The transportation, the shipment of these strawberries does play a role, but it is minute in comparison to the heating of the greenhouses. Now, I would be remiss if I did not mention that there are some strawberry farmers in Japan who are experimenting with alternative ways to heat their greenhouses. Of course, solar panels. There's something called a water curtain, which is basically a trickle of water that envelops the outside of greenhouses and keeps the temperatures inside constant. That does require groundwater, a lot of it. But there are farmers who are working to remedy the emissions problem. I do have to say that. But again, this is a particularly interesting story to me because in environmental circles, we often, and myself included, suggest to eat local. Eating local is generally considered eco-conscious. But not in this case. If we are eating local to cut down on greenhouse emissions associated with shipping around the globe, but our local item is incredibly energy intensive because we want what we want when we want it, and we want it in the off season, eating local then is the opposite of what we should be doing. What we should be doing is not eating strawberries at Christmas, right? It's important to remember that transportation of food often has less of a climate impact than the way in which it is produced. And this is not just in Japan. This is everywhere. One study, by the way, found that tomatoes grown locally in heated greenhouses in Great Britain had a higher carbon footprint compared to tomatoes that were grown outdoors in season in Spain and then shipped to British supermarkets. So transportation of food often has less of a climate impact than the way it's produced. I say all this to say that the final word is that it's not enough to just eat local. It's not enough. It's also not enough to just eat in season. What we should be doing as sustainable minimalists is to do both at the same time. Eat what's in season and at the same time, eat what's grown locally. So there we have it, our headlines issue. I'm going to wrap it up to stay under my self-imposed 15-minute deadline. I will see you next week. Don't forget to talk to friends and family about extrapolations and degrees Fahrenheit and all the great things. I will see you next week and take care.